Section five of Lords of the House Tops Thirteen Cat Tales edited by Carl Van Vechten. This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. A Psychical Invasion by Algernon Blackwood Part three. For several minutes John Silence watched the performance of the cat with profound attention and without interfering. Then he called to the animal by name. "'Smoke, you mysterious beastie! What in the world are you about?' he said in a coaxing tone. The cat looked up at him for a moment, smiling in its ecstasy, blinking its eyes, but too happy to pause. He spoke to it again. He called to it several times, and each time it turned upon him its blazing eyes, drunk with inner delight, opening and shutting its lips, its body large and rigid with excitement. Yet it never for one instant paused in its short journeys to and fro. He noted exactly what it did. It walked, he saw, the same number of paces each time, some six or seven steps, and then it turned sharply and retraced them. By the pattern of the great roses in the carpet he measured it. It kept to the same direction and the same line. It behaved precisely, as though it were rubbing against something solid. Undoubtedly, there was something standing there, on that strip of carpet, something invisible to the doctor, something that alarmed the dog yet caused the cat unspeakable pleasure. "'Smoky,' he called again, "'Smoky, you black mystery. What is it excites you so?' Again the cat looked up at him for a brief second, and then continued its sentry walk, blissfully happy, intensely preoccupied. And for an instant, as he watched it, the doctor was aware that a faint uneasiness stirred in the depths of his own being, focusing itself for the moment upon this curious behavior of the uncanny creature before him. There rose in him quite a new realization of the mystery connected with the whole feline tribe, but especially with that common member of it, the domestic cat, their hidden lives, their strange aloofness, their incalculable subtlety. How utterly remote from anything that human beings understood lay the sources of their elusive activities. As he watched the indescribable bearing of the little creature mincing along the strip of carpet under his eyes, coquetting with the powers of darkness, welcoming maybe some fearsome visitor there stirred in his heart a feeling strangely akin to awe its indifference to humankind its serene superiority to the obvious struck him forcibly with fresh meaning so remote so inaccessible seemed the secret purposes of its real life so alien to the blundering honesty of other animals its absolute poise of bearing brought into his mind the opium eater's words that no dignity is perfect which does not at some point ally itself with the mysterious. And he became suddenly aware that the presence of the dog in this foggy haunted room on the top of Putney Hill was uncommonly welcome to him. He was glad to feel that Flame's dependable personality was with him. The savage growling at his heels was a pleasant sound. He was glad to hear it. That marching cat made him uneasy. Finding that Smoke paid no further attention to his words, the doctor decided upon action. Would it rub against his leg, too? He would take it by surprise and see. He stepped quickly forward and placed himself upon the exact strip of carpet where it walked. But no cat is ever taken by surprise. The moment he occupied the space of the intruder, setting his feet on the woven roses midway in the line of travel, Smoke suddenly stopped purring and sat down. It lifted up its face with the most innocent stare imaginable of its green eyes. He could have sworn it laughed. It was a perfect child again. 
In a single second it had resumed its simple domestic manner, and it gazed at him in such a way that he almost felt smoke was the normal being, and his was the eccentric behavior that was being watched. It was consummate, the manner in which it brought about this change so easily and so quickly. Superb little actor, he laughed in spite of himself, and stooped to stroke the shining black back. But in a flash, as he touched its fur, the cat turned and spat at him viciously, striking at his hand with one paw. Then, with a hurried scutter of feet, it shot like a shadow across the floor, and a moment later was calmly sitting over by the window curtains, washing its face as though nothing interested it in the whole world but the cleanness of its cheeks and whiskers. John Silence straightened himself up and drew a long breath. He realized that the performance was temporarily at an end. The collie, meanwhile, who had watched the whole proceeding with marked disapproval, had now lain down again upon the mat by the fire, no longer growling. It seemed to the doctor, just as though something that had entered the room while he slept, alarming the dog, yet bringing happiness to the cat, had now gone out again, leaving all as it was before. Whatever it was that excited its blissful attentions had retreated for the moment. He realized this intuitively. Smoke evidently realized it, too, for presently he dined to march back to the fireplace and jump upon his master's knees. Dr. Silence, patient and determined, settled down once more to his book. The animal soon slept, the fire blazed cheerfully, and the cold fog from outside poured into the room through every available chink and cranny. For a long time silence and peace reigned in the room, and Dr. Silence availed himself of the quietness to make careful notes of what had happened. He entered for future use in other cases an exhaustive analysis of what he had observed, especially with regard to the effect upon the two animals. It is impossible here nor would it be intelligible to the reader, unversed in the knowledge of the region known to a scientifically trained psychic like Dr. Silence, to detail these observations. But to him it was clear, up to a certain point, and for the rest he must still wait and watch. So far, at least, he realized that while he slept in the chair, that is, while his will was dormant, the room had suffered intrusion from what he recognized as an intensely active force. It might later be forced to acknowledge as something more than merely a blind force, namely, a distinct personality. So far it had affected himself scarcely at all, but had acted directly upon the simpler organisms of the animals. It stimulated keenly the centers of the cat's psychic being, inducing a state of instant happiness, intensifying its consciousness probably in the same way a drug or stimulant intensifies that of a human being, whereas it alarmed the less sensitive dog causing it to feel a vague apprehension and distress. His own sudden action and exhibition of energy had served to disperse it temporarily. Yet he felt convinced, the indications were not lacking even while he sat there making notes, that it still remained near to him, conditionally if not spatially, and was, as it were, gathering force for a second attack. And further he intuitively understood that the relations between the two animals had undergone a subtle change that the cat had become immeasurably superior, confident, sure of itself in its own peculiar region, whereas Flame had been weakened by an attack he could not comprehend and knew not how to reply to. Though not yet afraid, he was defiant, ready to act against a fear that he felt to be approaching. He was no longer fatherly and protective towards the cat. Smoke held the key to the situation, and both he and the cat knew it. Thus, as the minutes passed, John Silence sat and waited keenly on the alert, wondering how soon the attack would be renewed, and at what point it would be diverted from the animals, 
and directed upon himself. The book lay on the floor beside him. His notes were complete. With one hand on the cat's fur, and the dog's front paws resting against his feet, the three of them dozed comfortably before the hot fire while the night wore on and the silence deepened towards midnight. It was well after one o'clock in the morning when Dr. Silence turned the lamp out and lighted the candle preparatory to going up to bed. Then Smoke suddenly woke with a loud, sharp purr and sat up. It neither stretched, washed, nor turned. It listened. And the doctor, watching it, realized that a certain indefinable change had come about that very moment in the room. A swift readjustment of the forces within the four walls had taken place, a new disposition of their personal equations. The balance was destroyed, the former harmony gone. Smoke, most sensitive of barometers, had been the first to feel it, but the dog was not slow to follow suit. For on looking down he noted that Flame was no longer asleep. He was lying with eyes wide open. In that same instant he sat up on his great haunches and began to growl. Dr. Silence was in the act of taking the matches to relight the lamp, when an audible movement in the room behind him made pause. Smoke leaped down from his knee and moved a few paces across the carpet. Then it stopped and stared fixedly, and the doctor stood up on the rug to watch. As he rose the sound was repeated, and he discovered that it was not in the room as he first thought, but outside, and that it came from more directions than one. There was a rushing, sweeping noise against the window panes, and simultaneously a sound of something brushing against the door out in the hall. Smoke advanced sedately across the carpet, twitching his tail, and sat down within a foot of the door. The influence that had destroyed the harmonious conditions of the room had apparently moved in advance of its cause. Clearly, something was about to happen. For the first time that night John Silence hesitated. The thought of that dark, narrow hallway, choked with fog and destitute of human comfort, was unpleasant. He became aware of a faint creeping of his flesh. He knew, of course, that the actual opening of the door was not necessary to the invasion of the room that was about to take place, since neither doors nor windows nor any other solid barriers could interpose an obstacle to what was seeking entrance. Yet the opening of the door would be significant and symbolic, and he distinctly shrank from it. But for a moment only, Smoke, turning with a show of impatience, recalled him to his purpose. Annie moved past the sitting, watching creature, and deliberately opened the door to its full width. What subsequently happened, happened in the feeble and flickering light of the solitary candle on the mantelpiece. Through the open door he saw the hall, dimly lit and thick with fog. Nothing, of course, was visible. Nothing but the hat-stand, the African spears and dark lines upon the wall, and the high-backed wooden chair standing grotesquely underneath on the oilcloth floor. For one instant the fog seemed to move and thicken oddly. But he set that down to the score of imagination. The door had opened upon nothing. Yet Smoke apparently thought otherwise, and the deep growling of the collie from the mat at the back of the room seemed to confirm his judgment. For proud and self-possessed, the cat had again risen to his feet, and having advanced to the door, was now ushering someone slowly into the room. Nothing could have been more evident. He paced from side to side, bowing his little head with great empressement, and holding his stiffened tail aloft like a flagstaff. He turned this way and that, mincing to and fro, and showing signs of supreme satisfaction. He was in his element. He welcomed the intrusion, and apparently reckoned that his companions— the doctor and the dog would welcome it likewise. The intruder had returned for a second attack. Dr. Silence moved slowly backwards and took up his position on the hearth rug, 
keying himself up to a condition of concentrated intention. He noted that Flame stood beside him, facing the room, with body motionless, and head moving swiftly from side to side, with a curious swaying movement. His eyes were wide open, his back rigid, his neck and jaws thrust forward, his legs tense and ready to leap. Savage, ready for attack or defense, yet dreadfully puzzled, and perhaps already a little cowed, he stood and stared, the hair on his spine and sides positively bristling, outwards as though a wind played through them. In the dim firelight, he looked like a great yellow-haired wolf, silent, eyes shooting dark fire, exceedingly formidable. It was Flame the Terrible. Smoke, meanwhile, advanced from the door towards the middle of the room, adopting the very slow pace of an invisible companion. A few feet away it stopped and began to smile and blink its eyes. There was something deliberately coaxing in its attitude as it stood there, undecided on the carpet, clearly wishing to effect some sort of introduction between the intruder and its canine friend and ally. It assumed its most winning manners, purring, smiling, looking persuasively from one to the other, and making quick tentative steps first in one direction and then in the other. There had always existed such perfect understanding between them in everything. Surely Flame would appreciate Smoke's intentions now, and acquiesce. But the old collie made no advances. He bared his teeth, lifting his lips till the gums showed, and stood stuck still with fixed eyes and heaving sides. The doctor moved a little farther back, watching intently the smallest movement. And it was just then he divined suddenly, from the cat's behavior and attitude, that it was not only a single companion it had ushered into the room, but several. It kept crossing over from one to the other, looking up at each in turn. It sought to win over the dog to friendliness with them all. The original intruder had come back with reinforcements. And at the same time he further realized that the intruder was something more than a blindly acting force, impersonal though destructive. It was a personality, and moreover a great personality. And it was accompanied for the purposes of assistance by a host of other personalities, minor in degree but similar in kind. He braced himself in the corner against the mantelpiece and waited, his whole being roused to defense, for he was now fully aware that the attack had spread to include himself as well as the animals, and he must be on the alert. He strained his eyes through the foggy atmosphere, trying in vain to see what the cat and dog saw, but the candlelight threw an uncertain and flickering light across the room, and his eyes discerned nothing. On the floor smoke moved softly in front of him like a black shadow, his eyes gleaming as he turned his head, still trying with many insinuating gestures and much purring to bring about the introductions he desired. But it was all in vain. Flame stood riveted to one spot, motionless as a figure carved in stone. Some minutes passed, during which only the cat moved, and there came a sharp change. Flame began to back towards the wall. He moved his head from side to side as he went, sometimes turning to snap at something almost behind him. They were advancing upon him, trying to surround him. His distress became very mocked from now onwards, and it seemed to the doctor that his anger merged into genuine terror and became overwhelmed by it. The savage growl sounded perilously like a whine, and more than once he tried to dive past his master's legs, as though hunting for a way to escape. He was trying to avoid something that everywhere blocked the way. This terror of the indomitable fighter impressed the doctor enormously, yet also painfully, stirring his impatience, for he had never before seen the dog show signs of giving in, and it distressed him to witness it. 
He knew, however, that he was not giving it easily, and understood that it was really impossible for him to gauge the animal's sensations properly at all. What Flame felt and saw must be terrible indeed to turn him all at once into a coward. He faced something that made him afraid of more than his life merely. The doctor spoke a few quick words of encouragement to him and stroked the bristling hair, but without much success. The collie seemed already beyond the reach of comfort such as that, and the collapse of the old dog followed indeed very speedily after this, and Smoke, meanwhile, remained behind, watching the advance, but not joining in it. Sitting, pleased and expectant, considering that all was going well and as it wished, it was kneading on the carpet with its front paws, slowly, laboriously, as though its feet were dipped in treacle. The sound its claws made as they caught in the threads was distinctly audible. It was still smiling, blinking, purring. Suddenly the collie uttered a poignant, short bark, and leaped heavily to one side. His bared teeth traced a line of whiteness through the gloom. The next instant he dashed past his master's legs, almost upsetting his balance, and shot out into the room, where he went blundering wildly against walls and furniture. But that bark was significant. The doctor had heard it before and knew what it meant, for it was the cry of the fighter against odds, and it meant that the old beast had found his courage again. Possibly it was only the courage of despair, but at any rate the fighting would be terrific, and Dr. Silence understood, too, that he dared not interfere. Flame must fight his own enemies in his own way. But the cat, too, had heard that dreadful bark, and it, too, had understood. This was more than it had bargained for. Across the dim shadows of that haunted room there must have passed some secret signal of distress between the animals. Smoke stood up and looked swiftly about him. He uttered a piteous meow, and trotted smartly away into the greater darkness by the windows. What his object was, only those endowed with the spirit-like intelligence of cats might know. But at any rate, he had at last ranged himself on the side of his friend, and the little beast meant business. At the same moment the collie managed to gain the door. The doctor saw him rush through into the hall like a flash of yellow light. He shot across the oilcloth and tore up the stairs, but in another second he appeared again, flying down the steps and landing at the bottom in a tumbling heap, whining, cringing, terrified. The doctor saw him slink back into the room again and crawl round by the wall towards the cat. Was then even the staircase occupied? Did they stand also in the hall? Was the whole house crowded from floor to ceiling? The thought came to add to the keen distress he felt at the sight of the collie's discomfiture. And, indeed, his own personal distress had increased in a marked degree during the past minutes, and continued to increase steadily to the climax. He recognized that the drain on his own vitality grew steadily, and that the attack was now directed against himself even more than against the defeated dog and the too-much-deceived cat. It also seemed so rapid and uncalculated after that. The events that took place in this little modern room at the top of Putney Hill, between midnight and sunrise, that Dr. Silence was hardly able to follow and remember it at all. It came about with such uncanny swiftness and terror. The light was so uncertain, the movements of the black cat so difficult to follow on the dark carpet, and the doctor himself so weary and taken by surprise, that he found it almost impossible to observe accurately or to recall afterwards precisely what it was he had seen or in what way or in what order the incidents had taken place. He never could understand what defect of vision on his part made it seem as though the cat had duplicated itself at first, and then increased indefinitely, 
so that there are at least a dozen of them darting silently about the floor, leaping softly onto chairs and tables, passing like shadows from the open door to the end of the room, all black as sin, with brilliant green eyes flashing fire in all directions. It was like the reflections from a score of mirrors placed round the walls at different angles. Nor could he make out at the time why the size of the room seemed to have altered, grown much larger, and why it extended away behind him where ordinarily the wall should have been. The snarling of the enraged and terrified collie sounded sometimes so far away. The ceiling seemed to have raised itself so much higher than before, and much of the furniture had changed in appearance and shifted marvelously. It was all so confused and confusing, as though the little room he knew had become merged and transformed into the dimensions of quite another chamber, that came to him with its host of cats and its strange distances, in a sort of vision. But these changes came about a little later, and at a time when his attention was so concentrated upon the proceedings of smoke and the collie, that he only observed them, as it were, subconsciously. And the excitement, the flickering candlelight, the distress he felt for the collie, and the distorting atmosphere of fog were the poorest possible allies to careful observation. At first he was only aware that the dog was repeating his short dangerous bark from time to time, snapping viciously at the empty air, a foot or so from the ground. Once, indeed, he sprang upwards and forwards, working furiously with teeth and paws, and with a noise like wolves fighting, but only to dash back the next minute against the wall behind him. Then, after lying still for a bit, he rose to a crouching position as though to spring again, snarling horribly and making short half-circles with lowered head, and smoke all the while meowed piteously by the window as though trying to draw the attack upon himself. Then it was that the rush of the whole dreadful business seemed to turn aside from the dog and direct itself upon his own person. The collie had made another spring and fallen back with a crash into the corner, where he made noise enough in his savage rage to waken the dead before he fell to whining and then finally lay still and directly afterwards the doctor's own distress became intolerably acute. He had made a half-movement forward to come to the rescue, when a veil that was denser than mere fog seemed to drop down over the scene, draping room, walls, animals, and fire in a mist of darkness, and folding also about his own mind. Other forms moved silently across the field of vision, forms that he recognized from previous experiments, and welcomed not unholy thoughts began to crowd into his brain. Sinister suggestions of evil presented themselves seductively. Ice seemed to settle about his heart, and his mind trembled. He began to lose memory, memory of his identity, of where he was, of what he ought to do. The very foundations of his strength were shaken. His will seemed paralyzed. And it was then that the room filled with this horde of cats, all dark as the night, all silent, all with limping eyes of green fire, the dimensions of the place altered and shifted. He was in a much larger space. The whining of the dog sounded far away, and all about him the cats flew busily to and fro, silently playing their tearing, rushing game of evil, weaving the pattern of their dark purpose upon the floor. He strove hard to collect himself, and remember the words of power he had made use of before in similar dread positions, where his dangerous practice had sometimes led but he could recall nothing consecutively. A mist lay over his mind and memory. He felt dazed and his forces scattered. The deeps within were too troubled for healing power to come out of them. It was glamour, of course, he realized afterwards, the strong glamour thrown upon his imagination by some powerful personality behind the veil. But at the time he was not sufficiently aware of this, 
and as with all true glamour was unable to grasp where the true ended and the false began he was caught momentarily in the same vortex that had sought to lure the cat to destruction through its delight and threaten utterly to overwhelm the dog through its terror there came a sound in the chimney behind him like wind booming and tearing its way down the windows rattled the candle flickered and went out the glacial atmosphere closed round him with cold of death and a great rushing sound swept by overhead as though the ceiling had lifted to a great height he heard the door shut far away it sounded he felt lost shelterless in the depths of his soul yet still he held out and resisted while the climax of the fight came nearer and nearer he had stepped into the stream of forces awakened by pender and he knew that he must withstand them to the end or come to a conclusion that it was not good for a man to come to something from the region of utter cold was upon him and then quite suddenly through the confused mists about him there slowly rose up the personality that had been all the time directing the battle some force entered his being that shook him as the tempest shakes a leaf and close against his eyes clean level with his face he found himself staring into the wreck of a vast dark countenance a countenance that was terrible even in its ruin for ruined it was and terrible it was and the mark of spiritual evil was branded everywhere upon its broken features eyes face and hair rose level with his own and for a space of time he never could properly measure or determine these two a man and a woman looked straight into each other's visages and down into each other's hearts and john silence the soul with the good unselfish motive held his own against the dark discarnate woman whose motive was pure evil and whose soul was on the side of the dark powers it was the climax that touched the depth of power within him and began to restore him slowly to his own he was conscious of course of effort and yet it seemed no superhuman one for he had recognized the character of his opponent's power and he called upon the good within him to meet and overcome it the inner forces stirred and trembled in response to his call they did not at first come readily as was their habit for under the spell of glamour they had already been diabolically lulled into inactivity but come they eventually did rising out of the inner spiritual nature he had learned with so much time and pain to awaken to life and power and confidence came with them he began to breathe deeply and regularly and at the same time to absorb into himself the forces opposed to him and to turn them to his account by ceasing to resist and allowing the deadly stream to pour into him unopposed he used the very power supplied by his adversary and thus enormously increased his own for this spiritual alchemy he had learned he understood that force ultimately is everywhere one and the same it is the motive behind that makes it good or evil and his motive was entirely unselfish he knew provided he was not first robbed of self-control how vicariously to absorb these evil radiations into himself and change them magically into his own good purposes and since his motive was pure and his soul fearless they could not work him harm thus he stood in the mainstream of evil unwittingly attracted by pender deflecting its course upon himself and after passing through the purifying filter of his own unselfishness these energies could only add to his store of experience of knowledge and therefore of power and as his self-control returned to him he gradually accomplished this purpose even though trembling while he did so yet the struggle was severe and in spite of the freezing chill of the air the perspiration poured down his face then by slow degrees the dark and dreadful countenance faded the glamour passed from his soul 
the normal proportions returned to walls and ceiling the forms melted back into fog and the whirl of rushing shadow-cats disappeared whence they came and with the return of the consciousness of his own identity john silence was restored to the full control of his own will-power in a deep modulated voice he began to utter certain rhythmical sounds that slowly rolled through the air like a rising sea filling the room with powerful vibratory activities that whelmed all irregularities of lesser vibrations in its own swelling tone he made certain signals gestures and movements at the same time for several minutes he continued to utter these words until at length the growing volume dominated the whole room and mastered the manifestation of all that opposed it for just as he understood the spiritual alchemy that can transmute evil forces by raising them into higher channels so he knew from long study the occult use of sound and its direct effect upon the plastic region wherein the powers of spiritual evil work their fell purposes harmony was restored first of all to his own soul and thence to the room and all its occupants and after himself the first to recognize it was the old dog lying in his corner flame began suddenly uttering sounds of pleasure that something between a growl and a grunt that dogs make upon being restored to their master's confidence dr silence heard the thumping of the collie's tail against the ground and the grunt and the thumping touched the depth of affection in the man's heart and gave him some inkling of what agonies the dumb creature had suffered next from the shadows by the window a somewhat shrill purring announced the restoration of the cat to its normal state smoke was advancing across the carpet he seemed very pleased with himself and smiled with an expression of supreme innocence he was no shadow cat but real and full of his usual and perfect self-possession he marched along picking his way delicately but with a stately dignity that suggested his ancestry with the majesty of egypt his eyes no longer glared they shone steadily before him they radiated not excitement but knowledge clearly he was anxious to make amends for the mischief to which he had unwittingly lent himself owing to his subtle and electric constitution still uttering his sharp high purrings he marched up to his master and rubbed vigorously against his legs then he stood on his hind feet and pawed his knees and stared beseechingly up into his face he turned his head towards the corner where the collie still lay bumping his tail feebly and pathetically john silence understood he bent down and stroked the creature's living fur noting the line of bright blue sparks that followed the motion of his hand down its back and then they advanced together towards the corner where the dog was smoke went first and put his nose gently against his friend's muzzle purring while he rubbed and uttering little soft sounds of affection in his throat the doctor lit the candle and brought it over he saw the collie lying on its side against the wall it was utterly exhausted and foam still hung about its jaws its tail and eyes responded to the sound of its name but it was evidently very weak and overcome smoke continued to rub against its cheek and nose and eyes sometimes even standing on its body and kneading into the thick yellow hair flame replied from time to time by little licks of the tongue most of them curiously misdirected but dr silence felt intuitively that something disastrous had happened and his heart was wrung he stroked the dear body feeling it over for bruises or broken bones but finding none he fed it with what remained of the sandwiches and milk but the creature clumsily upset the saucer and lost the sandwiches between its paws so that the doctor had to feed it with his own hand and all the while smoke meowed piteously then john silence began to understand he went across to the farther side of the room and called aloud to it flame old man come and at any other time the dog would have been upon him in an instant 
barking and leaping to the shoulder. And even now he got up, though heavily and awkwardly, to his feet. He started to run, wagging his tail more briskly. He collided first with a chair, and then ran straight into a table. Smoke trotted close at his side, trying his very best to guide him. But it was useless. Dr. Silence had to lift him up into his own arms and carry him like a baby, for he was blind. It was a week later when John Silence called to see the author in his new house, and found him well on the way to recovery and already busy again with his writing. The haunted look had left his eyes, and he seemed cheerful and confident. "'Humor restored?' left the doctor, as soon as they were comfortably settled in the room overlooking the park. "'I've had no trouble since I left that dreadful place,' returned Pender gratefully, "'and thanks to you.' The doctor stopped him with a gesture. "'Never mind that,' he said. "'We'll discuss your new plans afterwards, and my scheme for relieving you of that house and helping you settle elsewhere. Of course it must be pulled down.' for it's not fit for any sensitive person to live in, and any other tenant might be afflicted in the same way you were, although personally I think the evil has exhausted itself by now. He told the astonished author something of his experiences in it with the animals. I don't pretend to understand, Pender said, when the account was finished, but I and my wife are intensely relieved to be free of it all. Only I must say I should like to know something of the former history of the house. When we took it six months ago I heard no word against it. Dr. Silence drew a typewritten paper from his pocket. "'I can satisfy your curiosity to some extent,' he said, running his eye over the sheets and then replacing them in his coat. "'For by my secretary's investigations I have been able to check certain information obtained in the hypnotic trance by a sensitive, who helps me in such cases. The former occupant who haunted you appears to have been a woman of singularly atrocious life and character, who finally suffered death by hanging.' after a series of crimes that appalled the whole of England and only came to light by the merest chance. She came to her end in the year 1798, for it was not this particular house she lived in, but a much larger one that then stood upon the site it now occupies, and was then, of course, not in London, but in the country. She was a person of intellect, possessed of a powerful trained will and of consummate audacity, and I am convinced availed herself of the resources of lower magic to attain her ends. This goes far to explain the virulence of the attack upon yourself, and why she is still able to carry on after death the evil practices that formed her main purpose during life. You think that after death a soul can still consciously direct? gasped the author. I think, as I told you before, that the forces of a powerful personality may still persist after death in the line of their original momentum, replied the doctor and that strong thoughts and purposes can still react upon suitably prepared brains long after their originators have passed away. If you knew anything of magic, he pursued, you would know that thought is dynamic, and that it may call into existence forms and pictures that may well exist for hundreds of years. For not far removed from the region of our human life is another region, where floats the waste and drift of all the centuries, the limbo of the shells of the dead a densely populated region crammed with horror and abomination of all descriptions, and sometimes galvanized into active life again by the will of a trained manipulator, a mind versed in the practices of lower magic. That this woman understood its vile commerce, I am persuaded, and the forces she set going during her life have simply been accumulating ever since, and would have continued to do so had they not been drawn down upon yourself and afterwards discharged and satisfied through me. Anything might have brought down the attack, for besides drugs there are certain violent emotions, certain moods of the soul, 
certain spiritual fevers, if I may so call them, which directly open the inner being to a cognizance of this astral region I have mentioned. In your case it happened to be a peculiarly potent drug that did it. But now tell me, he added after a pause, handing to the perplexed author a pencil drawing he had made of the dark countenance that appeared to him during the night on Putney Hill, tell me if you recognize this face. Pender looked at the drawing closely, greatly astonished. He shuddered as he looked. Undoubtedly, he said, it is the face I kept trying to draw. Dark with the great mouth and jaw and the drooping eye, that is the woman. Dr. Silence then produced from his pocket-book an old-fashioned woodcut of the same person which his secretary had unearthed from the records of the Newgate calendar. The woodcut and the pencil drawing were two different aspects of the same dreadful visage. The men compared them for some moments in silence. "'It makes me thank God for the limitations of our senses,' said Pender quietly with a sigh. "'Continuous clairvoyance must be a sore affliction.' "'It is indeed.' returned john silence significantly and if all the people nowadays who claim to be clairvoyant were really so the statistics of suicide and lunacy would be considerably higher than they are it is little wonder he added that your sense of humour was clouded with the mind forces of that dead monster trying to use your brain for their dissemination you have had an interesting adventure mr felix pender and let me add a fortunate escape the author was about to renew his thanks when there came a sound of scratching at the door, and the doctor sprang up quickly. "'It's time for me to go. I left my dog on the step, but I suppose—' Before he had time to open the door, it had yielded to the pressure behind it, and flew wide open to admit a great yellow-haired collie. The dog, wagging his tail and contorting his whole body with delight, tore across the floor and tried to leap upon his owner's breast, and there was laughter and happiness in the old eyes, for they were clear again as day. End of Part 3 An End of the Psychical Affliction by Algernon Blackwood